0: you <laughs>
1: Abundant Success Series. That was Lando Murphy Jr. Awesome music. We're going to talk about the building blocks of his success, the things that he's experienced to help him get to be that America's Got Talent champion and to work with superstars and many other people around the world. Hey, Lando and I are coming at you right now. Hello. Good morning, Lando. Wake up.
2: Hey, good morning. (laughs)
1: Where are you hiding, man? We've been waiting for you. (laughs) Uh,
2: I was waiting on you guys to call me. I'm at uh, Glade. Your
1: little lovely resort had us on hold for 12 minutes. Oh, wow. So you got it like that, man. Your your servants and all that. (laughs) 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 It had us on hold for 12 minutes.
2: Really?
1: 12 whole minutes. I was like, look, I know man's busy, but hey.
2: Hey, my apologies.
1: Yeah, well, say hello to 5,000-plus of your people out there.
2: Hey, hello, (laughs) 5,000-plus.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you got people from West Virginia and London. We have Spain in the house as well as Columbia, Washington State, California, Honolulu, Hawaii, Biloxi. Biloxi. Hey, Biloxi. (laughs) (laughs) How you doing this morning?
2: How you doing? I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm hanging in here. I'm hanging in here. It's been a great day so far. It's a blessing to have you here. I know you're only here for a short period of time, and... I wanted to find out three key things from you. Our first interview, you talked a little bit about your background, and right now we're into a boot camp of no excuses and taking responsibility for your success. Right. And you came from homelessness, you came from humble beginnings, and you learned a lot, a lot of lessons. So I wanted to know some of the three to five key things you learned from and in that homelessness, and maybe three to five things you've learned since winning Your uh, award with uh, America's Got Talent.
2: Uh, The number one thing that I learned was just to keep my faith in God, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And second thing that I learned was just you know just love everybody because you never know when your next meal is going to come or or what's going to happen in your life the next day. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Wake up, you know. So you just try to try to love everybody as much as you can because none of us know when our time is up, you know, and um, since I won, I just, I don't know, I just, (laughs) it's just been, it's been crazy, because, I mean, I watched a lot of people around me change, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just dealing with that is weird, because, I mean, when you become, like, the guy who won a million dollars, I mean, you got a whole lot of new relatives, and and friends and that. so it's, it's kind of like hard to even trust mm-hmm. anybody, but you just try to uh, keep the same friends you've had before you got anything, and hopefully your career doesn't change their attitude, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Now, there um, was a
1: different, there was a mindset that you had that got you into that homelessness. What was some of the things you were thinking that got you there? I know you didn't, nobody winds up in their mind saying, hey, I'm going to be homeless, what happened in that instant in your life when that happened uh, that you just, you know, found yourself there? And What was the wake-up call while you were there?
2: Uh, just getting there was, I guess, you know, my pride. My pride alone, like, kind of got me home. Because, I mean, I had I had family members that lived where I was home with it. But it was just, I couldn't <laughs> ask anybody for that. And that was my biggest problem was just swallowing my pride and saying I need help. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in that in that point of my life, it was just I felt like all alone. Mm-hmm. I felt like nobody cared.
1: Wow.
2: So I mean, I was I was blessed with a gift of you know a lot of talents, and God gave me another talent of being a barber. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I had this. Couch thing that I had clippers in, so when I did make money, I bought me like these brand new chrome pair of shiny andy's clippers, and I would cut everybody's head in the neighborhood, you know, for five or ten dollars. So that kept gas in my car, it kept me, you know, from not being hungry and having to eat out of a garbage can. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: It was just all kind of ways that I that I did things like that just to stay out of trouble. So I didn't have to go to the streets, and I didn't have to, you know resort to something that's gonna have me locked up. So mm-hmm. I mean that was basically it, but my pride is what got me there. And if if I'd have just swallowed my pride I wouldn't even been almost at the time. It was just I didn't want to bother anybody.
1: What was your wake up call to get up out of that situation and when did you realize that you were responsible for that success that you wanted to, to be?
2: Uh my wake up call was one day my sister <laughs> you know, kinda like figured out that I was home. Ooh. And when she figured that out, she told me, Bring your butt over here and you can sleep in my basement <laughs> You know, and it was just it was just weird because I didn't really want to ask her for anything either, so. but mm-hmm. my sister she she's older than me and she would have beat me up if I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so Thank God for sisters, huh? <laughs> right, right. You know, my sister, she really looked out for me. But she kind of, like, picked at me until she figured out that I wasn't home. She kept asking me to come to my house and think mhm it. I played it off pretty good. I would go over to my friend's house and play. Like, at the time, it was I think it was Sega Dreamcast. Mhm. We would play that video game all night long. Then I would get up in the morning, get in my car, go to my sister's house, take a shower, eat breakfast with them. Take my nieces to school. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. I would, then I would go to the basketball court on Grand River say just play basketball all day until that night came.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I would go back to my friend's house that just loved to sit up all night and play video games.
1: They say that associations and mindset have a lot to do with success. Now, I know that you didn't go from playing video games to being on America's Got Talent and winning a million bucks. You had to change some things. What were three key things you changed to get from? the video game stage and being homeless to that America's Got Talent because I'm sure you had to change some associations along the way.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I had to completely change a whole lot of things. Um, mainly some of the people that I was hanging out with because a lot of them was into the streets. and My thing was just getting out of the hood because at the time when I was homeless, I was in Detroit and it was just like hood all around. Mm-hmm. So I would always... You know, take the time to, like, drive out to Southfield, Michigan or Oakland County or, you know, somewhere out in the suburbs to where I could get away from Mm -hmm. everything else and just relax. But Mm -hmm. when I did that, I started running into these bars, like Mr. B's pubs and things like that, and they would have, like, open mics in there. And that's when I started singing, because people would ask me, like, can you sing any Motown? I could do that easy. And it was just like, yeah, but it wasn't challenging enough, so my thing was just, just to make somebody go, ooh, look at this, you know, so I started singing the Frank Sinatra stuff, and once I started doing that, it just changed everything for me, I mean, I got a whole new set of different people around me that was calling my phone, or or trying to get a hold of me to, to come sing for them, you know, and it was just, my friends didn't understand it, they laughed at it, I mean, a lot of people that that seen me start off doing it, they cracked up. I mean, they thought it was the funniest thing in the world to see me singing, you know, Frank Sinatra. (laughs) Because they were so used to me rapping or doing, you know, Motown or soul music. But once I started doing that, and I seen the response from it, I was just like, wow, I could could probably do something with this. And it was just like, everybody's like, man, you crazy. You better not go around singing no Frank Sinatra, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, see the mood that these people are in when I sing this stuff? Do you see how they are? you see how the crowd is after we leave?
0: It's
2: <laughs> nothing like these hip-hop shows that we're going to, or you know? And I just felt good about it. So once I um, got up and it was just like I ended up getting a job again, and I ended up moving back to West Virginia. Once I moved back to West Virginia, I started um, raising money for less fortunate kids. And less fortunate families throughout West Virginia trying to just better their lives, you know, because I had already been in that position. When I got back to West Virginia, that's just something that I wanted to do. So I started singing this Frank Sinatra stuff at, you know, arts and crafts festivals and things like that. or Logan Chamber, commerce dinners or weekend programs or children home society meetings and things like that. It's just, it was just to raise money for them. And, and I did that for probably about 10 years. And the more I did it, the bigger my crowds got. They got bigger and bigger. And then I ended up getting a band called Top Shelf because mm-hmm. of a guy that was actually locked up in prison with my little brother. Wow. He actually kept every newspaper from the town that we were from, and he seen me on the front of the page, like, every week, like, why is this guy on the front of the newspaper every week, and he showed it to my little brother at the time, and my brother was like, oh, that's my brother Dooney, and he was like, yeah, you know this guy, he was like, yeah, I'm telling you, that's my brother, he was like, yeah, right, as soon as they got out of prison, he calls me, the guy calls me, he calls my brother, and then my brother called me, and was like, I got somebody I need you to meet." So I drive out to this guy's house and he's got like a, you know, almost a half a mansion. He got a, he got a garage just like a house. And I was just like, who is this dude? You know? (laughs) And when we get out there, this guy, he owns like, I mean, his parents own like half of Chapmanville and they had a supermarket and all kind of gas stations and things like that. So he already had money. He just took a bad path, you know, Mm -hmm. got himself locked up. But when he got out, he invested like everything his parents gave him. He put it all back into the house and redone the store that they left him, and then he took the rest of the money that he had and built a studio for me. Mm -hmm. Once he built the studio, it was just like, okay, what do you sing? And I was just like, I sing everything. He was like, well, I need a blues singer, blues and soul. I was like, oh, man, I don't really want to do that, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I'd rather do this Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, that King Cole type thing. He uh-huh. Just he told me he was like, uh, nah, nobody wants to hear that, you know. And I was like, you don't understand. I got an audience already, you know. I already have a crowd of people that come to my shows to see me sing this. I mean, I ain't getting paid for it, but they're there as cat, wall to wall. And he was just like, nah, I don't think I want to go there. I want to do like some soul, some blues, and some Motown.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So I was like, okay. So I did Mustang Sally for him and. You know, My Girl, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, Hold On, I'm Coming, just all these good soul songs and R&B songs, and he loved it, and he was just like, okay, I'm about to get this band, I'm putting the band together, I need you to be my lead singer, and I was like, for real, I mean, I ain't got time to be playing with you, and he was just like, yeah, I'm serious, so. Wow. Yeah, and he did that, and then I came back down the next week, he had. He remodeled his whole garage into a studio specifically for me and then he sat me down, and he's like, What's the name of the band you want? What what would be the name of your band if you was in the band? And I sit there for about I guess about three or four hours just thinking in these names.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was like, Well, since we're in West Virginia, we're probably going to just be local right here and around the Tri-State area. <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, if I want to do that, I want to be the best. So I want to be Top Shelf. Uh-huh. And he loved that name. So we named the band Top Shelf. Uh-huh. We start touring throughout the Tri-State from Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia. And once we started doing that, we started raising money for less the kids, to- toys for tots, all kind of things, you know. Shriners Clubs and, and things like that around my community, uh, Performer for the Veterans, you know, and, and just things like that. And it started getting really, really big. So we got a website, and then we got, like, a fan page, and everything was going great. And then one of the guys that he hired in the band wanted to borrow some money from him. And he came to me, and he was like, uh, this guy wants to borrow this amount of money. You think I should give it to him. I was like, is he your friend? He was like, yes. I was like, well, don't give it to him.
0: <laughs>
2: but you'll never see it again, you know. Because right. there was a lot of money that he wanted, and I was just like, I don't think you should do that, man, especially not right now. I mean, we're all making money. I mean, he's got to just do like everybody else. I mean, you're going to see everybody else coming to you asking you for money. I mean, that's up to you if you want to give him the money, though, but I'm just telling you. As him being your friend, I don't think you would see that amount of money again after you gave it to him. You'll never see it again. I mean, it's going to just ruin your friendship. And if you tell him no, then you're really going to understand what kind of friend he is. Mm -hmm. So he goes back and he tells him no. He listened to my advice and he told the guy no. And the guy was like, okay, well, then I'm out of here. So before he did that, I kept telling Rick, I was like, Rick, get the website, password, I mean, get all that stuff from him before he loses his mind. And the guy just went off, and when he went off, after Rick didn't give him the money, he just, he deleted the whole fan page, everything, the website. He took all the pictures and all the comments that I had had and all the news stuff, and he just destroyed, like, everything that we we built. And then I was just back down, there, you know, to the beginning of my career. That's how I felt again. I was just like, okay. I need to go back to what I was doing because I wasted a whole two years with these guys and now it's all gone. So I sit around and then I start working at the car wash again because, you know, the band had broke apart and I needed money. Mm -hmm. So I started working at Mike Pharrell Toyota. And Mike Farrell was just like a cool boss. He would let me come in when I wanted to, because he knew I was a musician. He knew I focused on my career all the time. And he was just like, okay, well, when you get in here and you do your set list of cars or whatever, you can go home and focus on your career. And I was like, thank you. That was like the coolest boss I've ever had. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So I sit there and did all of that and got back into the whole thing and doing charity and all of that. And then my father-in-law died. My wife's uh, dad died and then. My mother-in-law's lived way up in the holler, you know, which is in West Virginia. That's what we call them hollers because they're so far away from the main road. Right. She was way up in there, and she didn't want to live there alone. So right, spent a night with her, but a night turned into weeks. A week turned into a month. By the time we go back home and check on the place where we were staying, somebody had already kicked in our door and took all our furniture. Right. All our clothes. I mean, everything that we had. So it was just like... Wow, what do you do now? And I was just sitting in my mother-in-law's bedroom that she had let me sleep in. And I was just sitting on the edge of the bed like, what am I going to do? Everything is gone. Everything I worked for is gone. And then just the little that I had. And so right at that moment, man, God just spoke to me in plain English and told me I just needed a bigger stage. And I didn't understand what that was. I got this cold chill over my body, and I was just standing there with tears in my eyes like, What are you saying to me? And right at that moment, the TV that was on switched uh, to another commercial or something, and Howie Mandel came on the TV screen. Mm -hmm. And he was like, are you the next winner of America's Got Talent? Do you have what it takes to headline your own show in Vegas? You know? Are you our next million-dollar prize winner? And I was just like, wow. (laughs) And then it really, it really freaked me out. I mean, I got like, all these shields on my body. I was like, are you, like, speaking to me right now? And it was mm-hmm. like, that's the show. Because America's Got Talent is so good that they just let you be who you are. They don't really try to change you. Like, a show like American Idol and X-Factor, they're trying to build something, you know,
0: mm-hmm. trying to
2: put together a person that they think everybody's going to look up to. Mm-hmm. But America's Got Talent is just you and your talent. You know, that's the right. world votes on you, your personality, and the gift that you have. You know, and that's, that's something that I wanted. I never wanted to change who I was. And merit has Got Talent allowed me to be me, you know. So that was the show I went on. I signed up. When I signed up, they they called the house. I remember they called the house probably like six or eight weeks later or something like that. And my wife ended up hanging up on them As soon as they called, she hung up on it. Wow. And, thank God, they called back and was like, ma'am, please don't hang up this phone again. <laughs> we are really trying to get a hold of Landau, Eugene Murphy, too. Wow. And then she started screaming. I ran downstairs, I grabbed the phone, and they asked me where I wanted to come for my first audition. And I taught up New York City because of the genre that I was going to do. I was going to do the Motown stuff. So I was like, if I'm going to do Motown, I either got to start in Chicago, Vegas, or New York. That's you awesome. know, <laughs> so, I mean, that was just a... The strategy that I had. So once I got there, they put me in room 315. Ironic, I was born at 315 a.m. Wow. Yes, and when I left to sign up, when I signed up, and was getting ready to leave, it was a double rainbow in the sky. I'd never seen a double rainbow. And when I got to Hollywood, which is the land of the Lakers, Jerry West, which mm-hmm. is where I wanted it at, in Hollywood. And uh, at that moment, <laughs> I was living on Jerry West Highway. Whoa. In Omar, West Virginia. Wow. I was living on Jerry West Highway at the time. And I was sitting on the porch. Yeah, it was off Sunset Strip with Robbie Mel from True Jackson because he had to happen to be one of my fans I was sitting in Chipotle's or something and he seen me and was arguing with his girl across the street like that's the guy that's the guy <laughs> I,
0: see,
2: I see them arguing outside and then he bites on the windows like aren't you that guy from America's Got Talent I was like yeah he was like I told you baby I told you but he invited me and my wife to his house
0: <laughs>
2: we go out to the house and we're all just sitting out there on the patio up on this deck you know and it it starts raining a little bit. Now, we're in California, and he was like, Landau, look, you brought the rain. And then some other guy from, uh, what's that HBO show where the uh, guy's like a male Jiggle? I think it's called Hung or something. Oh, really? Yeah, he was with them. All of those guys, they all hang together. Like all the guys from Hung, True Jackson, Revenge. Um, wow. What's that other show with the uh, Entourage? All of Entourage, guys, okay. Yeah, I hung okay. out with all of those guys for like three days, you know, and they were all like fans of mine. They was all rooting for me on the show and everything, so. Wow. I'm sitting out on the deck with these guys, and they was like, look, Landon, now you brought the rain, you know, and look, there's a double rainbow, and I was like, wow, that's the second double rainbow i see. seen, and I was like, I've never seen a double rainbow ever until all this started happening. They was like, man, just, just pay attention to the signs, dude, pay attention to the signs, <laughs> You know, so then after that happened, I get home. After I win, I come back home and they throw me this huge parade. It's like everybody from West Virginia was in my little town of love. I think it was just everybody. People came from Florida, Colorado, Canada, Atlanta. I mean, they came from everywhere and it was just like, Wow. And then while I was sitting on the back of the limo, you know, just waving at the crowd and riding through the parade, one of the cameramen was like, look, Land now, there's a double rainbow. And I looked again. I was like, wow, that's three double rainbows I've seen. And then I added that up. And I was like, well, that's a total of six rainbows. Really?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I was like, wow, didn't I just win season six?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, yeah. like all of those things. Wow. like it was kind of like a lunar eclipse, man, how everything, like lined up for me Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know and it was just weird i started putting all these numbers together and it was just like i kind of i started to believe and i started to understand that it, it wasn't me you know it was just god prepared me for everything i mean going through the homelessness picking myself up staying out of trouble raising money for the homeless people doing all of those shows all it did was prepare me for america's got talent and what i'm doing today still, to this day, I'm still singing. I'm still raising money. I -hmm. think I've raised at least $1.3 million for the state of West Virginia. Just, you know, in charity. You know, and it's money that's been going to the people that I love. You know, the people who who see me as land You know, and and, uh, I am a West Virginian. True to the heart. So it's just like I raise money for less fortunate people around me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I'm still holding on to it. I still haven't lost that drive. I still try to stay as down to earth as possible. I haven't been on the big shopping sprees. I haven't. I just basically got all my priorities in order, you know, everything mm-hmm. straight. It took a million dollars to fix my life.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm right, saying? Right, right. It really
2: did, you know. And a lot of people say, oh, you won a million dollars. No, you won basically half a million dollars because <laughs> Uncle Sam gives the rest. Right. You know, but once I did that, I came back home and I raised, you know, I made probably another $350,000 after Uncle Sam took half of that million that I won in California. Right. And So then I bought a house. I bought my wife a new car. I put my son in college, you know, paid all my child support that I was backed up in, paid all my back taxes, you know, got health insurance. I mean, like I said, it took a million dollars just to fix my life, you know. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm just enjoying my career and still traveling the world. Just got back Beautiful. to China, been to Germany, you know, hoping to go to Dubai and France and Italy and these parts of Canada. Working on some things with Michael Blueblade. Working on my third CD right now, Capitol Records in Hollywood um, with Jeff Weber Works. And um everything has just been going great and my family's doing well. It's beautiful. Right now I'm here at Glade, Shady Springs, getting ready to do a show out here. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just wonderful.
1: Beautiful story. It, but the, the main thing is, from I'm, I'm hearing, that you have to change your associations. You couldn't go and run with the same guys expecting a different result. And that's what many people do with success. If something, if something that people get in that comfortability stage with the same people, the same everything, and they're expecting a different result in their success. Well, if it didn't succeed the first time around, why are you going for it? A second
2: time around. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and that's, that's another thing. I mean, a lot of people that you can be around can procrastinate you into just not doing nothing. <laughs> you know? Or not talk, doing your
1: best or not right. doing
2: your best. Exactly. You know? they'll, they'll talk the good game, but they won't do it. I mean, I ran into a whole lot of procrastinators, you know, going in and out of clubs, especially everybody tries to be important. Everybody has a card. Everybody has a studio. I mean, especially when you're around that type of crowd, everybody wants to be the main producer or Puff Daddy or Suge Knight or, you know, so you just got to find out the ones that's telling you the truth and the ones that's getting real and then, you know, pick and choose from that. But my thing was, okay, I ain't going to pick and choose anybody. I'm just going to be me and I'm going to go on my own path. And that's that's basically what got me where I was. I mean, if I'd have listened to everybody that told me, you know, not to sing Frank Sinatra or or don't do this like this and do it like that, I mean, I don't think I would have made it. I really don't. And, and sticking to my guns is what got me where I am. Because I mean, my close relatives, uncles, cousins, my brother, all a lot of people told me, man, you're you're stupid if you're gonna go on TV and sing Frank Sinatra. And I was just like, y'all don't get it. This world is missing this music.
1: That's right. Right now, there's a
2: big gap. There's a big void right now as far as just the, uh, the great moments and the history in the music and the, and the memories that our grandparents are dearly trying to hold on to that we're just sweeping under the rug with all this other filth and all this other negativity that we put on TV, and they don't have anything. So I was just like, if I come out and do this, I mean, even if I don't grab the young crowd, all of you know the veterans and the and the grandparents of the world are gonna love me.
1: They're gonna love
2: to hear this. They're gonna love to see it because they haven't seen it. They're gonna like, wow, this kid has dreadlocks. He's six foot four, skinny. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he's up here singing Frank Sinatra just as good as Frank Sinatra. I mean, where else can you see that? At, you know. And it's just mm-hmm. and the the, the 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 most amazing part about the whole thing is that I grew up in the youtube world
1: mm-hmm. that's right I've done all
2: of these shows, all of these events, all of these basketball games, everything that I've done, and it's like God has just preserved me, I've never been. You know, videotape. No one's ever put me on YouTube until America's Got Talent.
1: Do you think that that's a key to success? Because so many people think that, well, we'll just put everything here on YouTube, but I find and have found others who have been producers of not just mu- music but film, that can be a hindrance if you have your stuff out there.
2: Oh, yeah. It, it becomes a hindrance because it becomes that because now you got to think. Uh Okay, say you get a million views and your idea is fantastic Girl, your talent is great. But you got to understand there's always people out there that's wanting to steal your talent, too. That's right. I mean, and now if you get a million viewers, just think, 50,000 of them, at least 50,000 of them are going to try to steal what you did. That's right. At least, you know. And if just three or four of them succeed, then guess what? It becomes their wow thing it's not yours anymore you know so so my thing was i was always scared of somebody you know filming me and putting it on tv and then somebody else going out and doing it you know Mm -hmm. just like when dave chappelle came out i cried (laughs) (laughs) because that was supposed to be me i really did i felt that way and before before missy elliott came out like singing over rap beats I was doing that, like, in the 90s. I used to do that, and people thought I was crazy. Like, man, how are you going to sing over a rap beat? Or how are you going to rap over, you know, an R&B song? or, You know, and then I was doing all this stuff before, you know. That actually came out before people in, in Virginia came out, you know, and started doing all that stuff like Pharrell and, you know, and, Missy Elliott and, and all mm-hmm. these other groups that came out. And even before, you know, uh, I guess uh, R. Kelly's 2P-12 mm-hmm. album, I guess that's what it was called. But when that came out, man, and he was rapping over, like, R&B songs, I will just cry because when I was doing that, a lot of people thought I was, you know, losing my mind. I was just like, it sounds so good. But here they are, these people have, you know, so platinum albums and you know going on to bigger and better things, off of doing the same stuff that I had already been doing. It's just like, wow, I can't believe that. But so when and I
1: thing with the whole YouTube thing, um, if you are a an established artist, I think it can be great because if you can you know get to a, a wider audience and people can get accessibility to your craft. But if you're a smaller artist. I mean, that it's just like the Wild West there. You you may or may not be seen. And they're mostly watchers on YouTube. You never... if Even if, the, if somebody has a million hits, they don't have a million subscribers.
2: Right, right.
1: You know, they just had... Somebody came and watched and left.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you don't want to be done like that. And then, like I say, every time somebody watches you, I mean, everybody steals a little bit of you. You know, right. they always take this or that or hand gestures or something that's special about you they want to be special about them so
0: mm-hmm. I'm
2: just I'm blessed and I'm, I'm thankful that guy you know he kind of preserved me from that I mean I can't believe out of all of this this time and everything that I've been doing I mean I've been in New York way before America's Got Talent and my son there and it was just like people went nuts I was in Bronx Bronx barbecue or something like that off the beltway and They went nuts. And and this was like in 2005 or 2003 or something like that. Mm -hmm.
0: They
2: tried to keep me there. And I was just like, no, I'm going back to West Virginia because I had just got married. They were trying to to, get me to stay there. And I was just like, no, I'll be back. And they was like, young man, when people leave New York, they never come back. And I was like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I remember... Right after I signed up for America, I tell it, and they sent me to New York. I called those same people when I got to New York and brought them to my show, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> to my audition. And they came in, and they seen me do it, and they was just like, wow, we can't believe you just did this. You know, and I was, I was telling them, I was like, I told y'all I'd be back. It's just, you know, I have to do it on my time. I can't be something that you want. Otherwise, I feel like a puppet. You know, I don't ever want to feel like a puppet.